By now when Pastor Rob introduces me like that, I feel like a guest speaker all the time. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. I'd like for you to join me in the uh, just reviewing one more time the value statement that we developed. And, and uh, Can you see it okay? Can you read it with me? The Bible is our authority. Prayer is our means. Dependency on God is our posture. Restoring relationship between God and man. Passion. Love is our motive. Service to God and others is our expression. His promise to return is our urgency. And to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, is our goal. I think that's a meaningful statement. And I think it's something to help guide us in uh, who we are and what we're doing. Amen? I just hope you'll memorize that. and it'll, You can memorize John 3.16. You can memorize this. What do you say? I know it's not equal to the Word of God, I realize. It's, we could call it Second Hesitations 5.6. <laughs> Something like that. Well, this, we've, uh, we'll, we'll light our candles this morning and make a little commentary. What was our, our first week, the candle of hope? And that little guy needs some hope. He's hoping he'll make it for the rest of... He'll make it to Christmas Day there. And this is peace. And this will be today joy. And I'll be joyful if I get that done before that burns me. Joy. We have a fireman on the front row, so we're okay. He's, he's got both eyes are open. I see that. It's like candles in the church, a little dangerous. Joy. Luke chapter 2. Came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. We were talking the other day about misspelling the word Bethlehem. Some of you ever spell it with H-A-M at the end? Bethlehem. (laughs) It's real easy. We figured this out. There's no ham in a Jewish situation. So you'll never misspell that again. Bethlehem which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. This is a part of that message on peace, isn't it? Every time an angel shows up, people freak out, and the first thing said is, It's okay, be at peace. (laughs) Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy 
which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Significant. They didn't say the angel made known to us. They knew this was a message from God himself, regardless of those who brought the message. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. Joy. In verse 10, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Joy is the state of delight. It's a state of well-being. It results from knowing and serving God. There are a number of Greek and Hebrew words used in the Bible. The word joy is used about 150 times, and if we add in rejoice and rejoicing, we get up to about 200. They're synonymous with happiness. We do this in the English language. We have words that we use that are synonymous with joy, happiness, pleasure, delight, gladness, felicity, enjoyment. But joy stands apart from all of the other definitions in this. It is the fruit of being in right relationship with God. Real joy is a fruit, an outcropping, of being in right relationship with God. It's distinct from, the Bible says it's distinct from uh, pleasure. You know, the word for pleasure, we use a word um, hedonism, right? Self-seeking, self-satisfying. A hedonist is a person that just lives to satisfy themselves. They're always looking for something to put on them, self-centered, absolutely pleasure-seeking. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, Paul wrote said, you know, at the end times they will be uh, seeking pleasures for themselves, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it's a wrong lifestyle. It's indicated to be an incorrect motivation, uh, something that will not bring a lasting peace in your life, always looking to heap it upon ourselves. Yeah, I bring that as kind of a flag this morning, a warning to us as believers. Let's not slide down the slippery slope of materialism or the things that are offered, you know, the stampedes on the day after Thanksgiving or the mobs on shopping days. And hold on to your hope. Hold on to your peace. And understand that joy comes from a distinct difference in living than just trying to satisfy yourself or How many of you know it's just impossible to satisfy all the people in your family? You know, especially when it comes to shopping and everybody gets older and all the aunts and uncles show up and you think, man, this is going to cost us a fortune if we have to get everybody a present, right? 
And uh, that's kind of the push that comes from the world. Smart families, as they adjust, they get older, they say, hey, you know, let's draw straws and swap one gift and figure out how to deal with 20 people and, and let's buy something for the kids. Let's bless the kids, right? And then the kids get a little older and we, we don't bless them anymore either. <laughs> They're old enough to understand. You know, the preacher, he calls himself in Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher. Chapter 2, he writes, I took it upon myself. I was going to test myself, it says in the New King James, with mirth. Mirth is just trying to make yourself happy, right? So I'm going to test myself with mirth. And so I did all these things. He used the first ten verses of chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes. writes all of the things he set out to do. And when he gets down to verse 10 and 11, he says, And I figured out it was a waste of my time. It was vanity. Because it didn't produce what I was looking for. Now, interesting, if you take time to look at that chapter, you'll see a number of really brilliant accomplishments. You know, I set out to build water courses and do all these things that were really beneficial to people around him. But the motive was wrong. It was a simple difference. My motive was to just make myself happy. And those things didn't make me happy. But they were accomplishments that could make other people blessed. And so just a shift in the motive could have been, I'm going to set out to do these wonderful things to bless others. And then I'm going to be at peace with God. I'm going to have hope in God. And I'm going to experience the joy of being in right relationship with my Creator and functioning in the office that He gave me to do. I'm the king. I'm the leader. I should be doing things to help others. Simple shift from joy away from hedonism. Self-indulgence. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. This is a little rough, but let's throw it in. We like rough sometimes. Make a comparison. First Timothy 5, verse 6, it says, it's talking about widows. Verse 5 says, now she is really a widow and left, and left alone. She trusts in God, continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure, this is that same word, hedonism, indulgence, self-centeredness. She who lives in that is dead while she lives. There's the problem of a self-centered lifestyle. You're among the walking dead. You're trying and trying and trying to satisfy self or others, and it's an empty task. In fact, it, it uh, can enslave you. You can get used to it and get into the cycle of trying and trying and trying, never achieving, but you get stuck in it. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, We ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We used to be involved, he says. Paul's writing to Titus. We used to do these things. We were serving those various lusts and hedonistic pleasures. Anybody want to agree with me that we used to live that way? <laughs> But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appear, things changed. That's a short, short version. <laughs> things changed. 
When Christ came into our life, we realized, like him, that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Isn't that what it says about our Savior? Jesus demonstrated for us, John chapter 13, washing the disciples' feet. Hey, do you know what I've done to you? If I, you call me Master and Lord, if I've done this to you as an example, then you should also do it to others. He shifted us around and said, you're going to learn how to experience deep joy, abiding joy. It's different than happiness. Happiness comes and goes. It's temporal, right? Anybody wake up not happy this morning? Yeah. But you can know in the midst of your unhappiness that it's temporal. But joy can stay resident. Because it stays because it's the fruit of God living inside of you. Galatians chapter 5 says it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, right? Long-suffering, goodness, kindness, Temperance, faith, I'll get them all messed up because there's too many new versions. And you get the King James wrapped around the new living and falling out over the new international. And you get them all messed up. But joy is an outcropping of the inner life of God. doesn't mean you're going to be happy all the time. I'm actually kind of sad today. And I shouldn't even talk about it because I'll cry. But I'm happy and sad all at once. We had Jonathan came home last night for like 10 hours. Yeah, he came down from Oakdale. That's our youngest son, if you don't know Jonathan. He's got a new little family. and He's running off with uh, Josh Bailey and the gang going tough muttering and all that, if you know what we're talking about. But they all got this job going. They're going to go to Phoenix. So he just buzzed down here on his way, spent the night at our house, and took off. And, you know, it's just hard letting him go. <laughs> I mean, this is no baby. <laughs> I said, I had this vision of him coming home. We were just going to sit on the couch. I was going to put my arm around him and say, just sit with Jonathan. You know, It's like this. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really way longer than me now. This boy does not sit on my lap anymore. Six foot four or five or whatever he is. And he's all guy. I mean, he's just big. I thought, well, that's just I'll keep that hope in my mind. It's not going to work out on the couch because it probably won't even fit together. But I'm a little sad that you don't have to send them off again so quickly. Sorry. I love, I love my kids. And they're adults and they're doing great. It's, but I'm not real happy. I want them all to come home. You know, if you're parents, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But the joy inside of watching them go. And knowing that they're built by God and they love Him, and their primary responsibility in life is to love God and reflect His glory, whatever they do. We're so proud of them. We're so proud of them. And I know that's not all of our lots in life. Uh, some of us have children who aren't serving the Lord. And uh, that lends to your unhappiness when you think about it. And I don't mean to pulverize you this morning with those thoughts, but just sharing with you my heart that in the midst of an unhappy moment, the joy is solid because they're his and they're going to follow him. Luke chapter 15 is an insight into what is God's joy. And this came really as kind of sort of an odd passage you might think to have on this day of joy. Advent, you know, really the joy that was announced by the angel was 
let's get let's get joy because the good news is finally here. There's a Savior, and He is going to rule the world. And he's going to make it possible for us to be friends with God again. And that's our joy. That we're not lost anymore. We're not separated from God. We're not undone and in our sin. And there is a possibility again of relationship and and that extends into eternal life. We don't have to go to hell. Hell was not built for people. It was built for fallen angels. And uh, But those who choose to reject God will be included in that. And that's dangerous stuff. That's eternity. It doesn't ever stop. If you don't know Christ and you pass away, eternity is hell. And... You know, it's not really a laughing matter. We try and joke about it a little bit. You know, I talk to people and say, hey, would you like to hear about Jesus? No, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Well, it's okay. Go to hell. <laughs> I mean, not as a vicious slandering thing. It's a reality. If you choose not to get on this bus, you will not arrive at the destination that is designed for you, which is heaven. Eternal life. Restored relationship with God himself who made you. In his image, that's what he wants. He, he couldn't get it done any other way, so he sent his only begotten son to die in your place. And on the day he arrived, the angels appeared out of heaven and said, Joy, it's finally here. The good news is among you, and it's going to be for everybody, not just the select few, not just the limitation of Israel anymore, not just the Jewish people. But now it's going to be for the Gentiles, and everybody gets to come. That's joy. That's the joy we're talking about. When I think about what is the joy of God, Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, Can I just pause for a moment? Can we get a mental picture here? People are getting the sinners. The tax collectors are showing up. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. They're pretty excited about the getting together here. But then the religious guys show up. Me, 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 me. And they start complaining. I mean, look at these. These were sinners. And Jesus, in front of all those who wanted to be there, turns and talks to them. The others are just going to listen in. They say, that's great. That's why we came. (laughs) We wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Well, now we're going to get to hear what he says to them, the complainers, the religious leaders. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. I think of joy at this season. What's God's joy? When somebody comes home. When somebody gets back to him, when somebody finds out the truth and it reveals him to them and they say, they open their heart wide and invite Christ in. This is what Jesus says. This is God's joy. The next one, 
Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who's he talking to? Those who were supposed to be teaching these things. Who just settled into their religiosity and were fighting against truth themselves. And so Jesus, at their expense, teaches them truth. He wasn't being mean-spirited, right? I'm sure he was looking for them to get a breakthrough in Revelation as well and get over to the truth. But if they weren't going to come, he wasn't going to let them keep everybody else out. And that was an accusation. You guys, you stand in the doorway and you won't go in and you won't let others get in either. It was one of his accusations against the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't want to be that kind of a person. Could we be? Well, maybe I could tie the message this way. If you don't allow the joy of Jesus to leak out of you a little this season, maybe you're blocking somebody else's entry. And that's not an accusation either, nor me. It's like, you know, I could have come up here. I thought about this coming up this morning. Today we're going to talk about joy. I'm really, really happy to be here. What was that song we were listening to, Rob? Yes, was that? Remember we were listening to a song last night or a video thing? It was about being happy. Oh, the song was like, I'm so happy. It was in a minor key, and they were trying to sing about happy, and it was so, it was so sad. And we turned it off. We said, that's not, that's not a happy song. Let's not use that, you know. It's, but if we're talking about the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? It, it empowers us. It, it lifts us above the temporary sadness. It, it does something in us that we cannot do. You can't get it any other way. Real joy. Because a lot of people think God's the giant killjoy, right? Oh, he just takes away all the fun. It's not true. It's just not true. The Bible says he sings over us with joy. He says his creation is his delight. And when it comes into the, the reality of why he made it, then everything works well. He is pleased. And the creation is functioning right in its calling and its design. That's you and I. You know, the Bible says the trees of the field clap their hands. And the mountains bow down, melt like wax in his presence. I mean, all of creation responds to the creator, except for the humans, because we have choice. We can deny him. Right? We can say no to him. And lots of people we know have said no to him thus far. They're still holding him at arm's length. And they're not filled with the joy of God. Because they've not come into why he made them. My mind races through pictures of faces in the moment. It's like this that fast. I think of family, friends, and neighbors, and people I know in this community. And being here for so long, I just... They're not it. They haven't found it yet. And then I can't say, they haven't found it. Maybe it's, I haven't told them yet. That's our responsibility. And if we don't have the joy kind of leaking out of us, say, man, didn't your house just burn down? Yeah, it did. 
<laughs> Unbelievable fire. You should have seen it. It was You seem to be kind of happy or something. Well, I'm not happy my house burned down, but I have joy that I wasn't in it. You know, there's there's always a place of saying it's not the end. I haven't got the whole story, but the other night, maybe some of you heard this, the, I guess the power company was working on a street somewhere in Sugarloaf, and they backfed the electricity or something and took out a whole street. Not just the power off. Fed the power into the houses and took out TVs, electronics, and, <laughs> you know, weekender homes were sort of smoking and nobody's there, and fire departments showed up. And I'd like to hear how that happened. I like to know how things like that happen. You know, I used to be an electrician, so I understand breakers and things. That, but somehow, the breakers are made for when it's inside your house and it goes bad, it shuts off the power. But maybe they're not made to stop it from going the other way. Anyway, but you could lose your happiness over that. Right? It's Christmas and they just fried your refrigerator and all the food in it. You can't. Stay in your home because it's unsafe. Nothing works anymore. And that giant big screen that made you so happy, they just set it on fire for you. (laughs) You're going, there goes my happiness. Well, do you still have some joy? You know, can you leak out a little Jesus on people even if things are going bad? We can, right? Can't we? Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation but be of good cheer I've overcome the world Jesus in two places in John said I've spoken to these things to you so that you might have joy I say these things to you in other words Jesus gives us his word he gives us himself he's the living word he's the fulfillment of all that God wrote for us to read he's it He's the, he's the living Bible. And he says, these words I've given to you so that your joy could be full. That means you could have a little less than full, couldn't you? Read it that way. There's a full and there's a not so full. I'd like, I'll take either one, personally. But it sounds like full's better. The last part of Luke chapter 15 is the long story, which we won't read. Most of us are familiar with it, I think. The story of the prodigal son. Father's got two sons. One wants to go, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. Spends it on, the Bible actually says, loose living. Loose living. Just buying dinner for everybody and partying. The crazy thing was he left his hometown to do that. So it wasn't like he had a circle of friends where he went. He just picked up on the neighbors or whoever was out at the bar or whatever and just spent his money on them. When it was all gone, he was left penniless. And then a famine set in right then. And so he hired himself out to some, uh, some guy's local guy who put him in charge of feeding pigs. Think about it. Good Jewish boy. There's no ham in Bethlehem. Feed the pigs. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be the place the guy ought to be. And he's slopping the pigs with all these pods, the Bible says, and he's thinking, I, I wouldn't mind eating this myself, but they won't give me any. His mind goes back to his father. Man, even my dad's servants got it better than this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my house. I'm going to say to my father, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'd just like to work as one of your hired servants if you'll have me back. So he sets out for home. 
And I love the way this parable lands for us. It says the father sees him afar off. Probably sees him before the son sees his dad. His dad, we get the feeling in the picture that his dad runs to him. Grabs him. It's like I grabbed Jonathan last night. (laughs) He's not a prodigal, but he grabs his son. And as his son's saying, Father, forgive me, I'm such a fool. I traded in the joy for happiness. Happiness spun out. I need the joy back. I need the joy of being your son. I'd just be happy to work it right alongside all the other hired hands. And he says, that's not going to be the case here. And he's yelling at his servants, get the robe. Get a good one. Get a ring to put on his finger. Get him some new sandals here for his feet. All the things that would be speak of welcome. Get him one of each. And boy, you're going, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have us a celebration. Now, here's classic. I can't pass this up. It's just, I can't. I have no self-discipline on this next point. I have to ask the question, who was saddest when he came home? Hmm? The other son, the other son, the other son, the other son. No. The fatted calf. See, that's, it's just too good to pass up. I can't, I can't, I have no self-restraint. I always want to say that. Anyway, you're right, though. You're really right. It's, it was the other brother. Sure. I just think it's funny, the fatted calf thing. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have us a celebration. And the party begins. And they're underway. And there's merriment everywhere. And then the older son's coming in from the field. And he hears the ruckus, and he calls one of the servants and says, what's going on? He said, oh, your brother's home. My brother's home? Yeah, the one that was dead? Yeah, he's here. Your dad killed the fatted calf. He what? And he goes and finds his dad and says, you know, I've never left you. I've always been here. I did everything you asked me to do. I've followed all your commands. Never once did you even give me a goat to have a party with my friends. This kid comes home, and you killed the fatted calf. What is this? He's a little upset. His dad says, come on. He was dead. But he's alive again. We should celebrate. You've always been with me. You are always faithful. I love you too, yes. But he was dead and now he's alive. Jesus tells these three parables. One in 99, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. To say to the religious leaders in the moment, let me tell you what. Joy is to God. Joy to God is me with these sinners, me with these tax collectors, me drawing people to myself, me, the only begotten Son, making it possible for people to be in relationship with the Father again. And all of heaven rejoices when just one comes. Who will that one be in our lives this year? Who will be that one that we are praying for by name and by purpose? God push back the blinders, push back the enemy, intercede for them so that they can get a revelation when they're walking through the mall following a hedonistic lifestyle because that's what the world demands of them. And their family wants it. And everybody's clamoring for more stuff. 
And somewhere in there, walking through in the disappointment of that, because it is disappointing, it never fulfills. And in the disappointment of that moment, they might just get a glimpse or hear Silent Night in the background and say, maybe there's something else to all of this. And get broke through, and they'll be the rejoicing of heaven. I think there's another reason why all the angels rejoice when one comes to Christ. This is not biblical. It's extra biblical. I think that they are so busy all the time keeping these people alive. Right? How many of you have seen the moment when there was that angel that was so skinny somehow to keep your car apart from the other car at 60 or 70 miles an hour? You know, he jumped in there and (laughs) saved your life. I think they're working hard to keep people alive. And when they finally get saved, the angels go, whew, day off. Day off. Hallelujah. Man. Now if they die, they're in. It's good. You know? Now when they go over the speed limit, we can step off the fenders. You don't think they do that, I suppose. My pastor told me that when I was driving him. He said, by the way, the angels are with you when you're driving. But they get off the fender when you when you go over the speed limit. <laughs> That's a good picture to hold, you know. So when I'm on the freeway and everybody's pushing, and I go, man, there's 70, 80. There's no angels in the neighborhood. They're like, above the freeway, flying up there. Luke 15, I think, it really is probably the greatest picture of God's joy. It's because people are coming home. You know, joy was all through the announcement of the birth of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verse 14, the angel's talking to Zacharias, right? He says, your prayer is heard in verse 13, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you'll call his name John, John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. There's the word joy and rejoice in the same sentence. One of the 200 New Testament uses of the word joy or rejoice, rejoicing. You're going to have joy. Why? Because your son's going to be John the Baptist. He's the one that's going to go ahead of Jesus announcing that he's arrived. Great joy. Mary walks into Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant, right? John the Baptist, inside. And what is, what does Elizabeth say to Mary? How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me? Didn't my baby leap with joy in my womb when you came in? There's joy here, right? Jesus is present this big. John the Baptist, and John the Baptist leaps inside the womb. Woo, come on, there's some good stuff here. Luke one forty four. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb with joy. In chapter 2, verse 10, the Magi. Or I'm sorry, I said I got the wrong one. The the, uh, the one we read about the uh, the shepherds. 
good news, great joy. It's in actually Matthew chapter 2 where we get the Magi. I'll start in 9. It says, When they heard the king, Herod, right? They departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Everybody that's got some part to play in this birthing process of the Son of God has got a joy thing going on. I remember hearing the message, I think it was H.B. London. If you know H.B. London, was Jim Dobson's cousin. Pastor to pastors, he was. He said, I pastor a lot of churches. And, you know, Just about every church, there's somebody that's a joy sucker. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know any of you to be joy suckers. Okay? But sometimes there are people that can just drain it right out of you. Almost instantly, right? Hey, how you doing? And you think, why did I ask? Yeah. <laughs> wrong, wrong question entirely. It's just a habit. I've got to get rid of that habit when I'm with this person. Because they love to tell me, how's it going? And it's never going well. And you had joy moments ago, but by the time you're done, you're at least three quarts low. And you're looking for a filling station somewhere. Oh, man. They're joy suckers. You know, you just don't ask them certain questions. You need to walk up to them and tell them how it's going. They need help. You know, it's like the little boy looking up at the man said, let's, let's make him a pastor. Why not? Pastor, are you happy? Yes, son, I am. Why? He said, well, tell your face. <laughs> Some people just, you can't tell. Joy suckers. Watch out for the joy suckers. How about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, little guy, crawls up the tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm having lunch at your house today. And what was Zacchaeus' result? He was filled with joy. The Bible said, my house? Another tax collector lunch? Why not? They got all the money. They might as well buy lunch. But that day he found the ultimate treasure in Christ. He went to his storehouse and said, I've given it to the poor. If if I've stolen from anybody, there's a rhetorical thought, I'll pay it back manyfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus' joy was full. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he said, he compared to them to a woman who was going to be in labor. He said, I'm going to be taken away from you. And you're like a woman in labor right now. Your travail is about to start. You're going to go through some really tough moments. But your sorrow, like the woman in travail, once she brings forth that child, she forgets her pain. She forgets her travail, and joy takes over because she has brought a human being into the world. All the women should have said amen there. Because us guys, we don't get it. I mean, the best we can do is what Bill Cosby said. If we want to know what having a baby's like, just grab your lower lip, stretch it up over your head, and then you'll know. 
I've never been able to do that. So. But the travail of childbirth and the, the pain that's involved and the, all of that, and then, and then it's gone. Jesus said, this is your lot. This is what's coming for you, my disciples. You're going to go through that pain, but your pain is going to turn to joy. When did it turn to joy? On the resurrection. Jesus is alive from the dead. He's talking. He's eating. He's sharing with them. Forty days on the, on the earth leads them out. And it, he ascends right in front of them. In fact, Luke chapter 24. Verse 50, last few verses of this gospel. He's, he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And what does your Bible say? Returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The end result of what he told them. John chapter 16 had come to pass. You're, you're travailing now. It's not going to be easy. But it will turn to joy. Imagine standing under the cross, the crucified Jesus, bleeding to death, gasping out his few last words, turning to your friends and saying, are you happy? There would be no happiness there. Not for Christians, not for those believing in Christ, not for those following Jesus. There was no happiness there. Their joy was getting taken away. They said, it'll turn. It'll turn. It will. It'll come. Some of us are in situations right now Maybe you haven't talked to anybody about it yet, but you're in travail. You're having a hard time. God wants to say to you, listen, it's going to turn around. It's not permanent. You're going to be okay. I've got my eye on you. You know, we have sorrow statements on one hand. We've got joy statements on the other. And there's a choice to be made in our lives and our hearts. You know, some of the statements we might make on the sorrow state, I, I can't pay my rent. I'm losing my house. I lost my house. I my utilities are being turned off. I, I don't know what I'm going to do for the holidays. You know, on and on, on. But over here, there's a different list that says, "He'll never leave me or forsake me." He knows my needs even before the the question is on my tongue. He knows my heart. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows what I need, and I will get through this because He's in charge, not me. There's a lot of other scriptures we could put our life on than our own thoughts. Amen. And there's a choice to be made in the process. Like what Pastor Rob told us last week, you know, when humans, you know, animals just react. Something happens to them, they just react to it. Humans, we have a, we have a stimulus that comes, and then there's, our response comes after that. We're stimulated by something, and then comes a response. But in between those two things, there's a gap. And there's a decision to be made in that gap. This is the stimulus. My utilities were shutting off. I could be like an animal, just react, just ah, go off. But I could take the little window of what am I going to choose? Think of what my response could be and then make a response. Response is a thoughtful thing. Reaction is just knee jerk. Right? They're shutting off my power, my gas. 
I think I'll roast weenies in the fireplace. You know, there's a choice. Maybe your choice would be, hey, I could live with you. <laughs> Which then would be stimulus for the next person. And they'd have a window to develop a response. Hey, well, <laughs> let's pray about that. Maybe that's something God could do for us. Maybe you could live with me. Or body. It's a thought. I'm not suggesting we all move in tomorrow with one another, but Jesus, it said about him, Hebrews chapter 12, was facing the cross. Remember this? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? despising the shame. Stimulus. Response. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a different story going on. Jesus is crying out to the Father, if there's another way for this to happen, I'd, I'd like to know about it. And maybe we could do that. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Well, Jesus, there's the choice. So I'll go. I will die in their place. I'll bear their sins. I'll take the sins of the entire Humanity and let them kill me because sin can't kill me, but their sins can kill me. I have no sin. He's sinless, the Bible says. But yours and my sins were laid on him. And in that moment, I, this is my own theory. Again, extra biblical. Take it for what it's worth. It says that the sun went dark for hours. What has the power to blot out the sun? In my opinion the sin of all mankind of all time converging in one place at one time would take out any light except for the light of God. And that's how I look at it. I go, of course it was dark. Every sin ever committed by any person ever showed up that day at the cross and took Jesus to death. Our sins killed him. Another verse, I think Psalm 30 Maybe around verse 6, I think, says that though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. It was a long morning for three days, but Jesus came out of the grave and joy came. Who for the joy set before him? What's joy? It comes from being in right relationship with God. Jesus, being in right relationship with the Father, saw the cross and said, that's right relationship for me. That's what I'm called to do. That's who I am. I am the Lamb of God. I am the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. This is what I do. And this puts me in right relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're dwelling together in triune community. And this is my part. And so he did it. And that's why you could say, who for the joy set in front of him, endured the cross, despised the shame. Do I want to go there? No. Will I? Yes. These are instructional passages for us and how to live. This helps me. I hope it helps you. Joy continued through the book of Acts. You know, you had moments like the Philippian jailer. Read Acts chapter 16 and earthquake and the doors open and he ends up taking the guys home and fixing their wounds and it says his whole house gets to get saved that night. 
And it says there was joy in his house. The result of being a believer is joy. It's part of what comes with getting Christ in, your, in our hearts. He brings it. The Holy Spirit brings it as a fruit. So if we run into each other and we're not exactly happy for some reason, let's not throw each other away. Say, you know why you just don't look happy, but I know about the joy of the Lord. It's your strength. How can we get to that? How can you and I together in this moment? Maybe we just hold hands and pray. Maybe we just Let's tell God how unhappy we are right now. He probably gets it. He must understand. And we'll share in that moment and we'll find our way back to the joy of the Lord so that each one of us can be strong. I think there is a proportional aspect to this that reason with me. If I'm getting closer to Jesus all the time, would the joy increase? If I'm walking away from him, would it decrease? It's proportional. If joy only comes from being in right relationship with God, then it must be proportional. I can get closer and have more. I can distract and lose it. I, I think in my life I've proven this out. That when I tend to wander, as my heart, the psalm and the songs writer said, my heart is prone to wander. I'm human. I'm a failure. <laughs> I'm carnal. I drift. And in those moments when I drift, there is not a lot of happiness. There is not a lot of joy. But the closer I get to him, the more in relationship I stay with him, the greater my joy the greater my strength. I didn't say anything about happiness. I could be in the worst conditions available, but I can still have joy. Amen? And so can you, not just me. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part's rejoicing, we all rejoice. When somebody's weeping, the Bible calls us to go and rejoice with, weep with them until they can rejoice again. There's a lot to this joy candle, I think, this moment of Advent. And let me just try to summarize and let's be done. The real joy announced by the angel and the heavenly host singing to those shepherds was this. There's good news today. The Savior has been born. The time has come. He has arrived. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Christ means he's the anointed one, singular. The one that everybody was looking for, the one. It wasn't going to be a bunch of them. One. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. It's singular. Today he's here. He's arrived. And here's the, here's the sign. You'll find him in that little manger wrapped in swaddling cloth which if you've never heard this before, let me share with you, those swaddling cloths are the same kind of materials that they wrapped people in when they died. And so the prophetic indication was upon him at his birth that he was born to die. You'll find him there. Magi later on showing up going, hey, there's a star. Where should we look? Look at Bethlehem. Okay, oh, there's the star. Oh, joy. Here he is. Let's get out our frankincense 
our gold, our myrrh, and let's give it to this King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I pray that your joy will touch us. That the deep, resonant joy of the Lord, that fruit of the Holy Spirit, will increase in our lives in this season. Lord, that in the craziness of what the world has to offer and the push and shove and the distractions that have been made available, who knows what 50 new movies will show on Christmas Day for people to run off and amuse themselves with. The Lord, help us to become stable, not distracted. Help us to find our joy in you because you are alive in us. Keep us as your people safe from the allurements of the world. Help us to understand that we're in it, but we're not of it. We don't have to be rushing downstream with it as it flows. But Lord, that we can stop even in our most unhappy moment, say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will come through. I will not be destroyed. I will not be taken out for the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is on my side as I am on his. Father, I pray for those who are discouraged this morning. Perhaps those who would listen to a recording. That your spirit will come upon them fresh, new. Baptize them with your spirit. Let your spirit bring to them love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control and faith. Let the fruit of your life come into them and lift them out of their despair. Speak to them again the words of life that you've already told them before. Remind them of all the things you've taught them about your closeness and your attention to them. And lift them above the temporal. I ask that this would happen in and for the glory of Jesus and his name. And I am so grateful, Father, for what you've done in my life. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you just got to stop before you just ball over the place. God bless you.